on this episode of the Answers on Aging podcast. Yeah, so most of the rooms in your just run-of-the-mill nursing home are going to be semi-private. So that means you're going to have at least one, sometimes two roommates Mm -hmm. to a room. The reason they do that is because Medicaid is footing most of those residents' bills, Mm -hmm. and they're not going to give a private room to a Medicaid resident. Now, it's even more important whenever you're asking these questions to find out what are the acceptable payer sources with your facility and that will also give you an indication of what type of room that the setup is going to look like essentially welcome to the answers on aging podcast this podcast provides solutions to your questions and commonly faced challenges about caregiving, legal, and financial issues, personal struggles associated with the normal aspects of aging, and the unforeseen obstacles that oftentimes can be life-altering and even devastating. Each episode dissects real life, real-time issues, and will often feature special guests who bring expert-level knowledge and free resources straight to you. This podcast is hosted by certified elder law attorney Todd Watley and licensed nursing home administrator Sarah Scott. Together, these aging experts bring an impressive combined 30-plus years of experience to the table in order to give you all the answers on aging. That's right. This is the Answers on Aging podcast, and my name is Todd Watley, and we are very thankful that you have taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast, and we hope that you are liking and sharing this with others because we really do try to make the the information apply to a whole lot of people, and by you sharing it, we'll get that information out there and hopefully make their day. And as always, when I say we, I am here with my co-host, Sarah Scott. Hey there, Todd Watley, and welcome all y'all loyal listeners and new listeners. This is such a fun thing for us to do. This is our wonderful podcast called Answers on Aging. And if you're new, welcome. But if you have been listening to some of our more recent episodes, you've learned that we wrote a book. Mm-hmm. And it's about how to conquer the maze of finding long-term care for your loved one. And within the book, we have a list of questions to ask the nursing home or assisted living facility when you're choosing Mm -hmm. where to place mom or dad. And so today we wanted to kind of expand on a few of those questions that we thought would be really helpful and are a little bit more important or pertinent than than yeah. some others. There's 20 questions, which you go through those 20 questions, you will know what this nursing home is doing. And I think what's really important is they will know that you you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. that you're an informed consumer, you've done your homework, and this is letting them know you're not just any Joe Blow walking in off the street, you, you know what you're doing. And so we are not going to go through all 20. We don't mm-hmm. We're not going to subject you to that, but we've pulled out six questions that I think are pretty important. So, Sarah, I think people will be very surprised to learn about what are the assisted living or the nursing homes visiting hours. Mm -hmm. Are there certain hours that you can or can't go? No, there should not be visiting hours because this is their home. Mm -hmm. And while mom or dad may not want company after 8 30 at night mm-hmm. 
you as the family member or responsible party or power of attorney have the right to access them 24-7. So one thing that you really need to figure out is, are there visiting hours? If there are visiting hours, you need to turn around and go to a different <laughs> now, facility. That is outside of COVID. Sure. COVID oh, changed yeah. everything well, and you know, yeah. messed up everything. Mm-hmm. But yes, there may be medical reasons. They may be going through something that will limit that. But as a general rule, mm-hmm. there are no visiting hours because, like you said, it is their home. That's right. And to kind of piggyback on that, The next question that I think is incredibly important to find out from the very beginning is who is in charge of this place once you get outside of your operating business hours, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and who's in charge on the weekends? So talk about, real quick, before we jump into that, talk about the structure of decision makers from nine to five Monday through Friday. Who mm-hmm. who is normally there mm-hmm. and then who is there at night? Sure. So well and honestly, Todd, the the structure of making decisions shouldn't change from nine to five or seven PM to eleven AM. The structure and the process should still be the same, but during those business hours Um, There's going to be your administrative staff, your department heads, who are in charge of each department. So somebody's in charge of the dietary department, someone is in charge of billing, social services, activities, and then they all work underneath the administrator who is there. There's also a director of nurses who is the end-all be-all with anything nursing, Mm -hmm. and they're accessible, they should be accessible 24-7, but they're in-house Monday through Friday, typically 8 to 5. So when they're not there, if something goes wrong, there should always be either an RN on duty, a registered nurse on duty, to help control or take care of whatever issues arise, um, or a weekend manager who could be, that could be a nurse, but it could also be a different department head. Okay. So... There is a nurse, either an RN or an an LPN, in the building twenty four seven. Correct. Yes. There is always a nurse, yes. a licensed nurse who can do things, mm-hmm. and the RN is the um, the one who can do certain things that an LPN can't. But yes, mm-hmm. there should be a nurse there. Talk about how many CNAs should be there at night. Well, it all depends on the um, number of licensed beds. Mm-hmm. For each facility, but each state has their own staffing ratios, and they determine how many CNAs per however many residents, but it goes down drastically at night shift because most of the residents are sleeping. Mm-hmm. So, for example, during the day, we would have 12, 14, sometimes 15 CNAs, And as the day progresses and it gets lighter and more people go to bed, it goes down to like four to six. But for patients during Mm -hmm. the day, one CNA has four? No, no. It's like 10 to 12, I'm wanting to say. Okay. During the day, one Mm -hmm. CNA has 10 to 12 residents under their care. So at night, that goes goes up. Way up. It goes up more than double. It's more than double. Wow. It's significantly higher. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they're sleeping, and but there's generally sleeping. not much 
to do from yeah. 11 to 7. <laughs> so, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the type of, of beds. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a major difference between assisted or independent living to assisted living to a nursing home that people may not quite understand because if they've been to visit people in their church, whatever, in independent living or assisted living, they're going to be very surprised at what they find in a full-fledged nursing home. Yeah, so most of the rooms in your just run-of-the-mill nursing home are going to be semi-private. So that means you're going to have at least one, sometimes two roommates Mm -hmm. to a room. The reason they do that is because Medicaid is footing most of those residents' bills, Mm -hmm. and they're not going to give a private room to a Medicaid resident. Now, it's even more important whenever you're asking these questions to find out what are the acceptable payer sources with your facility. And that will also give you an indication of what type of room that the setup is going to look like essentially. Mm -hmm. So just know that if you're on Medicaid, you're most likely going to be in a semi-private room and make sure that they have open availabilities. You don't want to pour all this energy and time into mm-hmm. asking all these questions if they've had a waiting list for two years. Mm-hmm. You know, that yeah. might, I mean, it could indicate that they give great care and that everybody can't wait to get in, but mm-hmm. it could also indicate you're going to be waiting for a long time. Mm-hmm. And in independent and assisted living, unless you're married, you're probably going to be in a room by yourself, okay? You will have the room to yourself because particularly independent living, that's basically an apartment. Mm -hmm. And unless you just choose to have someone in there with you, you're going to be by yourself. Same with assisted living, but then once you go into a nursing home, chances are you're going to have at least one or two roommates. And people are surprised by that. And our book, goes into quite a bit of detail on the level of care mm-hmm. and you it is crucial that you know what level of care your loved one is needing because you would hate to spend all this time and effort on assisted living get your loved one there and then realize oh they've got to go to a nursing home mm-hmm. she was so excited about this place because it was fresh and beautiful and she was going to be there by herself and now they can't care for her because she is so bad she needs to go to a full-fledged nursing home and now she's going to have a roommate and yeah. that can be devastating to your loved one to you mm-hmm. to just the entire process and so our book does a pretty good job of helping you understand if your loved one needs this much care or this much care, they need this level of care. And so we highly recommend that you get to know that. Yes. Okay. So let's just assume we have mom in a room now, Mm -hmm. or you've chosen the facility, you you understand the payer sources and what kind of room she's going to go into. Now you need to ask, what can we bring from home? And depending on the company, depending on the level of care, will help guide you know you to know like, well, can we bring in furniture? What are the restrictions there? I remember we would al- almost always have, especially for our male residents, you know, dads had this recliner for years. I mean, there's an indention in the cushion of his head. There's stains. There's stains. (laughs) It's got lots of character. 
But, <laughs> you know, we just don't necessarily want to bring that character into the facility, whether it's because there's not enough room like actual space in the room, or they could have a policy. I remember we had to implement a policy um, when I was running the nursing home that if they brought in, like after a certain point in time, if families brought in a recliner or a lift chair for their resident, it had to be waterproof. For obvious reasons, you've got to be able to clean it, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these old velveteer, you know, burgundy, 20, 30-year-old recliners are really hard to clean. And so you want to make sure now, at least for the most part, that all the furniture, if you are allowed to bring it in, is some type of like faux leather or vinyl or sometimes microfiber Fabrics can okay. also be easier to clean. Okay. Um, so, and then, you know, what other personal items can I bring in to the facility to help mom or dad feel more comfortable or more at home? And um, each facility is really going to kind of differ, but you know, based on their policies and, the, and their corporations. But um, in general, they should have some type of list, just like a generalized list of things you can bring in from the outside okay and what about really nice things mom's mm-hmm. wedding ring mm-hmm. um, a special necklace yeah. earrings mm-hmm. what about those we highly discourage families from bringing things like that to the facility and if mom or dad has just always always worn their wedding bands or um, you know a piece of heirloom jewelry um, you can go out and purchase some you know, fashion jewelry Mm -hmm. that is similar and serves basically the same purpose without creating the temptation for staff to take it or creating the opportunity for it to get lost or or broken. So um, you really want to be smart about that kind of stuff. I know that it means a whole lot to mom to still wear her wedding band and you can replace it um, before you go in. But once it's gone, you can't replace it. It's gone. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, and the staff is, um, they do background checks, criminal, personal. I mean, these are not criminals, Mm -hmm. but don't tempt some. I mean, a five or $10,000 piece of jewelry sitting there is... Man, that's just hard. Yeah. You know, for some yeah. people that you know make not a lot of money, tempting them is just not worth it. That's so, right. That's right. Um, so, what if someone's a picky eater? Yeah. You know, nursing homes. I know assisted livings probably do a better job at this, but in my mind, when you go to a, a nursing home, you eat it three times a day at this time and they load up the trays and they bring it to you and it's like here's what's for dinner take it or leave mm-hmm. it yeah is that really how it is and what if a loved one is kind of picky about things mm-hmm. well so each nursing home should have if they're not on staff they should be contracted out access to a registered dietitian mm-hmm. to really assess and help shape their dietary plan for being in the facility and some people, that means you've got to have everything pureed and you have thickened liquids and the nursing home has to make those accommodations. Okay. But 
if it's certain picky things like mom will only eat bluebell ice cream sandwiches, <laughs> the little mini ones, yeah. that's a little more um, specific. And you should have the opportunity as a family to bring that in. But you can't expect them to make those types of really specific okay. um, requirements. Someone told me the other day that their mom did not like chicken. Okay. And I know chicken is a staple oh, yeah. <laughs> protein in nursing homes, uh-huh. but they said she doesn't like chicken. Mm-hmm. So what if someone doesn't like chicken and mm-hmm. chicken's on the menu? Well, if if that's the case, there should always be at least one or two alternatives for each main food group. So the protein part of the meal, mm-hmm. if, if you're serving chicken, then you need to have a non-chicken option that is also... A protein. So essentially that could be meatloaf. I mean, it could be a number of different options. And usually how we would work it is cook a little extra the day before of those certain food groups and keep it. You can Mm -hmm. keep leftovers for a day or two. Mm -hmm. It's all within regulation. Sure. Um, And so that you have those options. But then there's always going to be like a house soup or salad sandwiches sandwiches mm-hmm. yeah so i mean it shouldn't be an act of congress to get the alternative for whatever is served to the main group and um and and they should accommodate but when it comes to the really nitpicky stuff you might be expected to provide that to your loved one okay so the the takeaway is don't think that you have to eat what they're serving Mm-mm. okay Mm-mm. you you can always ask and the family can generally, with approval from the physician and I guess from the dietitian, can the families bring in food? Yes. Okay. Yes, they can. But I would encourage you as family members, if you do bring food in from the outside, please, please let the staff know because they will track mom or dad's intake. Mm-hmm. And if they show that mom hasn't eaten more than 50% of her meal for the last three meals, they're going to think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. If they don't know that you brought mom the leftovers from Thanksgiving dinner mm-hmm. and she's been eating on those for the last three meals, they're going to think she's not eating at all. Right. So, yes, just let the staff know when you bring stuff in. And they'll also appreciate you telling them so that they can make sure it gets properly stored and it's labeled with her name. Right. Okay. Good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little prep work for this next question. Um, explain to families how the physician thing works. Okay. You know, can a person go in to a nursing home and still use their private general practitioner physician? That's a great question. So in general, when you move into the nursing home, your new family doctor, your new primary care physician is going to be the medical director or the attending physician on staff at the facility. But if what? You can keep your doctor, right? You can, can, but you're going to have to foot the bill for that going to see them. Regulations say your physician has to be on site once every three months or something like that? You have to do, yes, quarterly visits. Um, If there's no significant change in the the resident's condition, you're going to be visited by either the doctor or a physician extender like a nurse practitioner or medical assistant 
on a regular basis. So is your family doctor going to get into the car and drive to the nursing home to see you? Probably not. Probably not. Which means so. you're going to be the one on the hook to take them and pay in that visit bill. Right. Yeah. So most people use the, the staff doctor for mm-hmm. that facility. Okay. Yes. And it's also important to know that that uh, medical director or the, the, phys- the facility physician is going to be the basic last box to check when mom goes out to, let's say, her foot doctor, and there's a an order for some type of supportive device for her foot, mm-hmm. the house doctor at the nursing home is going to have to sign off on that order okay. in order for it to all get integrated into her care plan. So that house doctor is going to be kind of the funnel that everything else goes through, even if they do see physicians outside of the facility. Okay. How does a person in a nursing home go to the non-physician doctors, the yeah. the eye doctor, the mm-hmm. dentist, people like that? How, well, how is that taken care of? of? A lot of times, especially recently, more and more facilities are bringing those types of services into their facilities. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we had a, a mobile dentist that would come to our facility. We had a podiatrist, we had an eye doctor, and it just, it cuts down on a lot of time that's spent with residents and staff trying to coordinate all the logistics of using the facilities transportation and scheduling and Mm -hmm. all the stuff um, and brings it to the residents. Now, just like the primary care physician, that in-house doctor that's seeing mom if you want to see an outside specialist you can Mm -hmm. but you're going to be you know responsible for getting them there and back and you might also have to pay the bill wow okay yeah very cool yeah those are some i think really important questions that people may have when they are looking into this process to you know to see what kind of changes are they going to have to make what are some issues that are coming up. And so, like I said, that's six questions that mm-hmm. of 20 that you have listed in the book to have on hand when you go visit this place to sit down and, and let them know that you've done your research and you're asking very pertinent questions mm-hmm. to, number one, get that information. But number two, I think it's important to let them know that you know what you're doing. That's right. And we definitely know what we're doing when it comes to this Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. So again, um, thank you for listening today. If, and we would like for you to get a copy of our book, the way that you get there is, is to go to our website, answers on aging podcast.com forward slash M A Z E maze. And if you just go there in the upper right hand corner is a menu item talking about the book, click on that, that will take you to a page, you'll see a video from us, you'll mm-hmm. see um, some general information. And at the bottom, click the link or fill in the information, click the link and you'll get the book immediately. As an electronic download, we will, we're filming this um, or recording this the 1st of August, 2022. We don't yet have physical books, Mm -hmm. but Sarah's working on that. I think by the end of August, we should have books. So you can always email us and we can work out the details on how to get you a physical book. That's right. So thank you again so much for tuning in to our 
Answers on Aging podcast. Please share this information, tell your friends, and hopefully make that aging process a lot smoother. Thank y'all. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Answers on Aging podcast with Todd and Sarah. Be sure to hit subscribe and keep tuning in each week as they bring you helpful, useful, and easy to find resources for making life as we age as simple and enjoyable as possible. For more information about this episode, visit AnswersOnAgingPodcast.com. Click on the show notes tab and take advantage of the free resources right there at your fingertips. To see Todd and Sarah live, check out our Facebook page, Answers on Aging, to catch a live feed of their radio show every Wednesday morning from 9 to 10 o'clock. Todd and Sarah welcome feedback and love to answer your questions. So please, let them know what you think by leaving a review and share with your friends and family.